Take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 9. Got a lot of people revved up today. Lots of uh, lion's gear on all over the church. I noticed all morning. You can see, obviously, I'm wearing green. And no, I hate the Green Bay Packers. Just want to be clear about that. You Packer fans, stay away from me today. Um, so just a couple things, or I should say one more thing, is essentially important for the church um, before we dive into Acts chapter 9. It's 43 verses. Promise I'll get you out by 7 so you can get home. <laughs> Um, our dear pastor and brother, Alex, has made his way in here today in obvious, uh, a great deal of pain still. Yeah, we could cheer. Let it, let it rip. Um, we do want you to know, though, he'll be going into surgery the week of the 23rd, one day though that week in January, so upcoming here shortly. And he'll be undergoing a back fusion surgery. And hopefully it'll get him back on his feet and feeling healthy and even better than before. So just remember to pray uh, for Alex. Pray for his dear wife, Bethany, who has always a lot on her plate. And now she, obviously, through that, has to care for her, for her husband as well. Um, so we certainly appreciate this sweet family. And they are a blessing to us, and we ask God to give him a full healing in this. All right, Acts chapter 9. So I'm going to read through this, which, again, is a long passage. I certainly want you to pay close attention. We're not going to cover every aspect of Acts chapter 9, we will certainly touch on, as we are highlighting through each chapter a week, there's a great deal of detail in Acts chapter 9, as in all of, you know, the actions of the apostles or the early church as Jesus has ascended into heaven from Acts chapter 1. So we begin here in Acts chapter 9, at verse 1, the scripture writes this, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. 
The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul arose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus whose name was Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying, and he, had, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many, men, many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority over, from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus and immediately proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed. Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, but spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. But they were seeking to kill him, and when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church 
throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints at Lydda, and there was a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they washed her, they laid her in the upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men on him or to him and said, Please come, come to us without delay. So Peter arose and he went with them, and when he had arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But when Peter put them all outside, he knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand, and he raised her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, presented her alive. And it became known throughout all of Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. This is the word of the Lord. Let's, let's bow our heads and worship our King. Heavenly Father, we come before you now. We ask you to help us, a church, to see the beauty of Jesus. And then, Lord, lead us to, to live for your honor and glory alone. Amen. Jesus, at his ascension, we know from Acts chapter 1, told his disciples that they would receive power. And through his ascension, of course, the Holy Spirit descended. And through that, the working of the early church and the actions of the apostles, as they become the witnesses in Jerusalem, and now that is taking place where it's ex expanding, just as Jesus said it would. You would be my witnesses you would be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then in Judea and Samaria and utter to the ends of the earth. And so the first seven chapters of Acts primarily covers the church at Jerusalem, which was by and large only Jewish. And now the gospel, through the persecution that goes on in Jerusalem, is expanding and expanded last week, and it's going into Judea and Samaria, and we'll see this throughout 
chapters 8 through chapter 12, and then from chapters 13 to the end of the book of Acts, which is 28 chapters, the gospel and the message of Christ is going to the, the ends of the earth. We find ourselves this morning here in Acts chapter 9, and I kind of want to give you this at the beginning. We're going to look at Acts chapter 9 in three ways because I think this is really tailored this morning that speaks to us as those who have faith in Christ. Um, as a result of having faith in Christ, the New Testament gives us the term over 168 times that we are in Christ. Now here's what this means, and we'll see this unfold in Acts chapter 9. Number one, believers are justified. Believers are justified. Secondly, believers are being sanctified. And then thirdly, believers will be glorified. All those are the truths of the outworking nature of the gift of God in saving us. Believers are justified. We've been made acceptable to God, to a holy God, where we, of course, are sinners, made righteous by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Believers also are being sanctified. And I heard this, this, this small and concise definition for the word sanctification that has helped me all the way back to when I was 13 years old. 50 years ago. Sanctified or sanctification in the Bible means two things. It means to be separated from your evil and separated to God. Separated from your evil and set apart to God. Believers are being sanctified. We'll look at that in the life of Aeneas. And then thirdly, one day, which we all look forward to, believers will be glorified. Believers are justified. Believers are being sanctified. Believers will be glorified. And I want to tell you why this thing is so important. It's easy for all of us to be deceived or duped by Satan. Even as Christians, no matter how long, in my case for over 50 years, to divert our attention to things that don't really matter, to cause our, our Christian faith to suffer because we're not looking at what we need to be looking at, nor enjoying and learning of the things that God has given us in being in Christ. And so Satan literally is doing everything he can in your life to divert your attention because the Christian who, has, who is, is struggling lacks a confidence to boldly talk about Jesus. And so I don't want you to ever misplace that. All the days of your life the works of Satan come up against the church. But as Jesus said, 
He cannot prevail against us. Believers are justified. That's sealed and done. Believers are being sanctified. Set apart from, our e from the evil sin of our own lives to God. And believers one day will be glorified. We will be made entirely perfect on the day of resurrection. But believers are justified. Saul of Tarsus, as we know, becomes the, the great apostle Paul. His conversion is given to us here in Acts chapter 9. We will see this again in Acts chapter 22 and in Acts chapter 26. But we recall Saul back on the message that, that Pastor Alex preached on Acts chapter 7. It was Saul that was at Stephen's death, basically had given the order to kill Stephen. Now, the Apostle Paul's resume is kind of given in the book of Philippians chapter 3 as who he was as a Pharisee. I just want to, I want to note just a few things about that. I heard a sermon back in my teenage years that Saul, in all likelihood, was the top five brilliant minds in the world as it were known. Now I want you to think about this. When the New Testament was written, peoples across all nationalities, about 5% of people could read. Um, but of the nation Israel and Jewish people, 25% of the nation could read. Think about how great the gospel has been. Just a benefit to the world that we can, you know, that we can read. All that came through the benefits of the glorious gospel of Christ. But anyway, in his resume, there's a few things that the Apostle Paul gives us. He, it tells us that he was a Pharisee. Okay, he was a Pharisee. And a Pharisee basically held a doctorate, if not two doctorates, of the Old Testament, and particularly the law. So when you're speaking about the Sanhedrin, which were 70 men that led the nation Israel, Israel, of course, being a theocracy, meaning it's theology, it's religion, and it's government, were one, um, he had a doctorate. He had studied under Gamaliel, listed as of the tribe of Benjamin. He literally says of himself, and we know this is true because the Bible doesn't lie, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. So he was purely Jewish and elite of elite, and that's not only true just in the nation Israel, but in the world as it was known. Paul said of himself in Philippians chapter 3, as to righteousness that pertains to the law, he was blameless. Dude's a do-gooder, right? I mean, I mean, he's got his act together. And the scripture tells us, and as this unfolds, we know 
that he persecutes the church and he's basically holding the garments and the tunics of those soldiers that were stoning Stephen in Acts chapter 7. The text tells us there, even in Acts chapter 9, all the way back, of course, to Acts chapter 7, that Saul himself is breathing threats and murder to the disciples of Christ. The concept here in Acts chapter 9, if we could picture this, it's, it's like he's a, a rabid beast. I got bit in the face by a, a dog that had rabies as a kid, seven years old. Mom and dad are in heaven now. I'm still blaming them for that. Um, but if you could picture a ravenous beast, that was his thirst to kill Christians. And yes, that's what he did. He killed Christians. He certainly imprisoned them, but he did so with the design. And, and here in early in Acts chapter 9, uh, the Bible tells us that he's, he's at work gathering more names so he can track down more of them those who were a part of the synagogue that now had become followers of, of Jesus. And, you know, if we could picture the kind of zeal this guy had, had, Saul did this as if this was pleasing to God. So the same way that you live your life to please God, he did this, obviously, in error, but he, he had a zeal to kill Christians because he thought this was, was pleasing to God. And then he undergoes a very miraculous conversion that we see here in Acts 9. And through this miraculous conversion, and let me say this by the way, and it is a spectacular conversion. All conversions, including yours and mine, are miraculous. We're going to... We're going to see that a little bit in just a couple minutes. But as this takes place here, um, rightfully so, now you think about this, the, the, the church at Jerusalem, the gospel is beginning to expand everywhere. And everywhere you read in Acts, time and time again, it, it talks about the gospel multiplying and, and a multiplicity of disciples. But the, the early disciples... I mean, they know who this dude Saul is. And so, literally three times in this chapter, in, in verse 13, now catch this. Ananias is getting spoken to by the Lord Jesus himself about what he's to do with this activity, right? He's hearing the voice of Christ, literally, okay? Not that still small voice. We're talking about that audible voice and then this Saul's life had such an impression on the early church he goes well Lord I've heard from many about this man how much evil he's done to the saints of Jerusalem he's like what Lord are you sure this guy's killing us jump down to verse 21 again the the same things kind of said. All who heard him were amazed. Is not this the guy 
who is ravagingly killing Christians in Jerusalem and any that call upon the name of Jesus? Has he not come to us to kind of get on the inside so he can kill us? That's what's being said in verse 21 and, of course, again in verse 26. And so the trail here for the Apostle Paul's life, he goes from, he's on the road from Jerusalem to Damascus. He, he undergoes this miraculous conversion that we just read about. He goes back to Jerusalem, and then there's a plot to kill him in Jerusalem. So the disciples scurry him off to Caesarea, and then he goes back to Tarsus, to which he was born. Saul's conversion, we don't want to misplace this, because all believers are justified, is a work of grace. It's God's own choosing, election. God's unmerited favor. Now that has a tendency, you know, I, don't, I know it doesn't here, to, to, to cause people to fear. I hope that that's not you. But let's, let's think about the human drama that takes place here because salvation is of God's own choosing. God chooses and that choosing is election and it is according to the Father's predestination. Those aren't scary words, they're actually very comforting words. Just to clear it up to Ananias, the Lord himself says, go, in verse 15, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. Now, just to reflect a little bit on this, in the scriptures, God is always the one that chooses. God chose Noah. God chose Abraham. God chose Isaac. God chose Jacob. God chose Joseph. God chose Moses. He chose Joshua. He chose David. You know the story of David, right? It's on the backside of another mountain. He chose every prophet in the Old Testament. He chose all of the apostles. He chose the 72 when he was physically on the earth and sent them out. And yes, he chose Paul. God chooses. And he has every right to choose. So don't think, well, that, that's not very deserving. Man, none of us want what we deserve. We all deserve hell. Now God's choosing, please hear this, isn't that he makes us a robot or a puppet. That's, that's not grace. Grace enables the heart to believe and turn and trust Christ. Now the human element to this for us is we know that God only saves according to the gospel. The gospel is what God uses, and it's his only message he uses, to awaken a dead heart, to understand the holiness of God, their own sinfulness, and to turn them to the truth of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection 
for sinners. Grace enabled my heart to turn to Jesus and to trust in Him. If you are a Christian, you are only a Christian because God chose you. He didn't choose you because you were smart. He did not choose you because of your capabilities to, to woo other people. He didn't choose you because you came from the right family line. He didn't choose you for any other reason that you became the object of his love undeservedly. And that's true, please get this, for all of us. Now, again, because I want to I help this a little bit. Think of the human element to this circumstance. Saul is killing Christians out of zeal for God, okay? He didn't get on the seventh verse of just as I am and say, oh, I finally figured this out. I've been doing it wrong. No, this bloodthirsty savage, we use it in the old term, wants to kill Christians. And yet God saved the Apostle Paul, and I think for me, to be the champion of the picture of his grace. That God turned one of the most vicious and vile people against the church to its greatest missionary. Saul, like you, through the enabling of God's grace, according to God's own choosing, awakened your heart. I'll never forget for me, because I was raised in a Christian family, and man, I had been gripping for like three months, and I'm thinking, I had all kinds of things going on in my head and in my soul, and I was trying to dodge it. Because I was Chuck's kid, C.H.'s kid. And man, I wasn't living up to that criteria. <laughs> Yet God's grace overwhelmed me and enabled my heart to acknowledge God's holiness and tear down my own pride of what I thought other people would think. You see, I knew the gospel message. I knew the gospel message from a kid. I memorized, you know, the Romans wrote in our little Bible class, and I did it first because I was always a competitive cuss, and I wanted to be the guy that won. I've never doubted the gospel. I assented to those things that they were true because they were things thy mom and dad taught me. And yet in that knowledge and in that assent, I did not Become a child of God until I trusted in Jesus alone to save me. Just like Paul. Just like you. We're all in the same boat. And so Saul turns from the greatest hater of the church to its greatest missionary. 
the text tells us here that, that God blinded him for three days. And when you look at the parallel passage to this, it's in Acts chapter 26, verse 14. There, the text adds, and if you have a King James Version, you probably thought, why didn't I read this? It's because it's not in the ESV, but it's, it is in the ESV in Acts chapter 26, verse 14. He says, Saul, Saul, I am Jesus who you are, per why are you persecuting me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? Jesus questions Saul at that moment. Now you hear that phrase, to kick against the goads, and it really doesn't mean much to any of us. It's not very helpful, but man, these farmers understood it. A goad was a long wood that the farmer would use when they were plowing, and the oxen would stop. They would use this this very sharp end to poke them on the back end so that it would keep going and keep moving. And what would happen from time to time for all farmers is that they would get an oxen that was plowing and that oxen was stubborn and he was literally known as stupid. Oxen were, oxen were stubborn and they were stupid and it would take the goad to prod them. In Saul's blindness, Jesus looks at Saul and says this, Why are you so stubborn? Why are you so stupid, Saul? That's what Jesus said. You know why? Because unbelief is blind. Unbelief is stubborn in its own pride. Some of you right now are stubborn in your own sin and it's your own pride that's keeping you from coming to Jesus. Unbelief is blind. Unbelief is stubborn. It's full of pride. Unbelief is stupid. And you know why it's stupid? Because your eternal life is at stake. Before Christ, I was blind, I was stubborn, I was stupid. Now some of you know me and you say, you're still stupid. <laughs> I am. I am. But not this kind of stupid. God's humbled me to save me. And I can't tell enough people about that. I thank God for that. You know, really, it's the only thing you can do in life that really there's such, a, there's such a sweet transparency for all of us that know Jesus. I didn't get saved because I was C.H. and Betty's son in a long lineage of a denominational line. Man, I'm telling you right now, I was going to bed every night knowing I was going to hell because I was rotten as hell. Scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, we are saved by grace through faith. God saved Saul. He justified him. You're like, what? Dude's killing. When Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? 
Well, Saul himself hadn't actually had a shot at, at, at killing Jesus, but the church is Jesus' body. That's how he feels about us. Listen, don't let your, don't let your pride get in your way and keep you stubborn. God will forgive you of all of your sin. All your sin. Saul was a sinner of the worst sort. He persecuted Christ. And yet it's also the Apostle Paul that writes this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you know that the Apostle Paul in his flesh was not burdened? How could I have done that? And then the sweet taste of Jesus told him, I've accepted you. You have my righteousness. Wow. Tell me we're not saved by grace. Man, I'm going to tell you right now, if we're not saved by grace through faith, I'm going to hell. 100%. Thank God I'm not. And neither are you. Because of the gospel. And all of us are justified. Every one of us are accepted to the holy God because of the beautiful righteousness that's in Jesus Christ. We are justified by faith alone. As we go along here, secondly, believers are being sanctified. And I think this is a very important truth because it's a part of, of, of the fruit of salvation. Aeneas here, in this brief text in Acts chapter 9, it's just verses 32 through 35, Aeneas is bedridden for eight years. The, guy, the text tells us he was paralyzed. I had a, uh, I broke my ankle. I was like 25 years old playing in a basketball league. I got a cast at Wyandotte Hospital. And I'll never forget when I got that cast off three months later, how shriveled up my, my right ankle was against my left ankle. Imagine being paralyzed on a mat for eight years. Aeneas. And of course, Peter is caught wind and of, of, of the expansion of the gospel. And the text tells us that he went here and there among them all. And he came down to the saints in verse 32 who lived at Lydda. And there he comes upon Aeneas. And he says this to him. He says, right now, Jesus the Christ is healing you. I think that's so beautiful. Peter doesn't take credit. Peter doesn't have the gift of healing. The healer's Jesus, right? Jesus is the healer. He healed your soul. If, if any man is going to be healed, they're healed by God in Christ because from God comes all good things. If our dear brother, friend, and pastor Alex's back is going to be made right, it's going to be made right because of the goodness and the healing nature of God, because it is God who gives man all wisdom in all good things, even in this beautiful thing called fusions. <laughs> 
All knowledge comes from God. Peter takes no credit. Peter knows who he is. I love what he tells him. He tells him two things. He says, stand up and make your bed. Not because he was a goading parent. But you know what he was telling him? You're done with this. Move on. Every Christian is in the process of being sanctified. Every one of us that know Jesus. And that's essentially what Peter is doing with Aeneas. Even in the size of this room, no two of us are at the same spot in sanctification. Because sanctification doesn't go just like this. Sanctification is like this. It waxes, it wanes because we struggle and we battle and we confront and we, and we have to deal with our sin. You know, in this case, he had a, a malady that lasted for eight years. Some of you might be struggling with a particular sin that you've struggled with your entire life. The book of Hebrews says to lay aside the weight and the sin. It could even be a set of sins that easily beset us. Why? Because we're all being sanctified. We are all being separated from the evil of our sin and set apart to our glorious God that saved us. Woo! That's good. So when, 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 when Satan tries to deceive me, and bombard me with, man, you don't belong to him. You've done this, you do that, you think about this, you think about that. It's the gospel that comes rushing in and tells me, you are mine. It gets me in those alone moments. God, I'm sorry. Man, I'm struggling. Help me to overcome this. Give me strength for that. Listen, church, you're not alone. The most important friend you have is Christ, who told you he would never leave you or forsake you. But the truth is, until we die, we all have deficiencies. Some are in our character. Some are in our physical body or our mental health. Some are in our struggling and how we obey. And there's all sorts of differences and mixes in all of that. Now, please, rest assured, we are all being sanctified, right? Because without the holiness of sanctification, no man shall see the Lord. But it's an activity where none of us want to step back and look at someone else and self-righteously judge them. Are you kidding me? You, they're, they're one of us. It'd be like my, my left hand looking at my right thigh and saying, hey, why, why don't you act like a hand? <laughs> it's a part of me. 
We're a part of one another. And we're a part of a larger body, the body of Christ, which is across the globe. And that body is being sanctified. Listen, those are the unctions that, that call to mind your sin. Why? Because Christ and the Holy Spirit is living within you. And he will not let you go. The process of sanctification is spiritual infancy all the way to spiritual maturity. And then to the last point that we'll eventually see here. But the truth is, between the time you come to faith to the time you leave this life, none of us are totally whole. Not one. The one that was totally whole was Jesus. So you know what that tells me? First of all, be patient with yourself. Now that doesn't mean a trump card to sin or a get out of jail free card to sin. We want to hate our sin. That's the level of maturity. But man, be patient. Let's be patient with each other. Man, when if you hear another brother or sister is in trouble or they're struggling with specific sins, no matter what they be, don't judge them, help them. Help them. This is a long, arduous journey. Be patient with your children, parents. Be patient with them. Give them room. You erred. You sinned. Man, teach them to run to you, not run away from you. Because we all struggle, every last one of us. If you do not struggle in sanctification, you do not know the Lord. So if you're sitting there right now and in your mind, you are self-righteously judging someone else in the church and you're not examining your own heart, you don't know the gospel. Truth is, we all have fears. It's just a part of being sanctified. Now here's, here's, the, here's the strength of this. Jesus has saved you from your sin. You're forgiven. You're justified by faith. He has saved you from your sin. Preach the gospel to yourself and go back to that. But Jesus is also saving you from your sin. Arise. Make your bed and move on. How do I do that? Let me give you a couple practical things. Be humble. Confess your sin. Not just at the confession and pardon time, even though that's beautiful. Trust Jesus. Rest in the gospel. Move on. The last one is believers will be glorified. Believers will be glorified. It's from verse 36 to the end of the chapter. To be glorified is to be finally united with a perfect body for all eternity. 
Tabitha was a deacon to widows. The text tells us that she was full of good works and she did wondrous acts of love towards uh, the widows. She has another name. It's Tabitha and Dorcas. We're not going to call him Dorcas. I hope there's not a Dorcas in here. I hesitated to do that. But you know, if we had a daughter, we were going to name her Tabitha. I got three ornery boys <laughs> who are men, and I'm, and I'm glad for that. Tabitha serves Jesus. She loves, she loves Jesus. She loves the people around her. Man, she is just a servant to God, and she dies. And, and funerals in biblical times were in homes. And so they, they fix her up and, and they dress her up. And for a brief time, particularly the widows are, are mourning her death along with, you know, the Bible tells us there are even more saints. And here comes Peter. He comes from Joppa. And it's a full day's journey. She was clearly dead. You can kind of see this like the whole Jesus Lazarus thing. You know, before I get to this about believers will be glorified, you know, God has compassions for widows. He does. Widows, widowers, and for the fatherless. Those three know it. They didn't have a dad. Not worth much. You know, God knows your human circumstance and what you grew up in. Man, you know, I don't know what that is. I, I, I'm so undeserving of the heritage that I have in, in the family that I was raised in. But what I love about this is that God is moved with compassion towards those who are helpless and to those who are hopeless because to be a widow or to be an orphan in this society you would die. You would die if someone didn't choose to care for you. And so Peter, he, he comes down to, to Joppa and, and he hears of this circumstance. He hears of the beautiful giftedness of who Tabitha is and how she manifests her love for Jesus by creating this ministry to the to the widows, and, and, she, and he knows, I mean, he knows the state of the early church. The early church was mostly poor, mostly people who were vulnerable and outcast. Man, God give us a heart. So thankful for the ministry that many of these women have created, not only to the homeless, which has been carried on for the longest of time. For, for you women who have had burdened to help mothers and the, those who are poor and need to get diapers and what's food, food. I mean, I don't know what it's like to go hungry. Lord knows I could stand to miss a few meals. God bless you, you Tabitha acting things. <laughs> I love this. 
Peter walks in. He clears the room. He says, hey, step outside a minute. And in this case, he gets on his knees and he prays. And as he prays, he doesn't say Dorcas. He says, Tabitha, arise. And she sits up. And then Peter takes her by the hand and he escorts her to all those wonderful widows and the rest of the church and all their sorrow turns to joy. Peter presents Tabitha alive. On the final day, Jesus himself will present you and I alive. The day of the Lord, the final day, the day of resurrection, and he'll do so with wonderful glory of who he is. For he is with the one that he died for. What a wedding. And some of you might be hurting right now, and some of you might be going through some very difficult circumstances in life, and if you're not now, you will. But in all of your sorrow, in all of your pain, Christ has justified you by faith. He is sanctifying you in the current. And yes, one day, he will resurrect you. He will glorify you. He will make you perfect. Wow. No tears. No sin. No pain. No sorrow. No death on that day. You know, it really is the only story that ends in happily ever after. Let's pray. Father, now as we, we come to you, we, we thank you, Lord, for those of us that are in Christ. We are in Christ. That you have justified us by our faith. That you have sanctified us, but you are, you are in the process of sanctifying us to bring us to the day of resurrection and the glorification of these bodies that are made of clay now and sin in the flesh, but will one day not only not sin, we will never even desire sin. For your, your people, Lord, this morning, encourage them in their, in their position with you. May not the wicked one deceive them or to divert their attention against the one who has saved them. Help us, Lord, to love one another and to encourage each other. To be there for one another in this arduous journey that we are on. And Lord, in, in the difficulty of this life, no matter what it is that we're, we're undergoing, Lord, may we look to eternity where we will be glorified and all the things of this former life will be past. No sin. No death. We pray for that, God.
you'll do that for your people. Lord, for the one that has yet come to faith in you, I pray, God, that you will, the callousness of their own stubborn heart, you would reveal to them that they're holding on to their own sin and pride. Lord, that you will, you will resonate in their minds and their hearts they're really being stupid for their eternity is at stake. This is what you said, Lord Jesus, to Saul. And we all identify with it. Because for those of us that do know Jesus, we know we were stubborn, blinded in our own sin. We know that we were stupid. But thank God, because of your grace, we don't get what we deserve. We get the righteousness of Christ and life with him. Bless your people now, we pray. In the name of Jesus, we ask and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen.